Hebrews chapter 2, verse 5, For unto the angels hath he not put in subjection the world to come, whereof we speak. But one in a certain place testified, and this is Psalm 8, saying, What is man that thou art mindful of him? Or the son of man that thou visitest him? Thou madest him a little lower than the angels. Thou crownest him with glory and honour, and didst set him over the works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things in subjection under his feet. The quotation of the psalm ends there. And then the apostle adds his comments. For in that he put all in subjection under him, he left nothing that is not put under him. But now we see not yet all things put under him, but we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. Psalm 8 teaches that dominion is to be given to a man, a dominion over the, all the works of God's hand, a crowned man, a glorious and honoured man, a man with dominion. Thou hast put all things in subjection under his feet, now those feet under which all things are put in subjection are the feet of a man. Now let us recall Paul's main theme. What is that? Well, it's the glory of Christ, isn't it? It's the divine glory and the preeminence of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. The glory of him as the divine Son in chapter 1, who is greater than angels. He's greater than Adam. This is what this section is saying. He's greater than Moses. He's greater than Joshua. He's greater than Aaron. He is the greatest of all. He's telling us that Christ is glorious and greater than all to show us that we are in a new age. That we're in the better. That we're in the age of fulfillment. That we are in the day of salvation. Where we have the incarnate Son of God now reigning in heaven, in the highest place in the universe, all things put under his feet, reigning in the heaven at the right hand of God. That's what he's doing now. We're not waiting for him to reign. He is now reigning at the right hand of God. We have to always keep that in mind throughout our study of Hebrews that Paul, while he's intertextual and uses very many references as we shall see, there is one main text that is before him and that is Psalm 110. The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou at my right hand till I make all thine enemies thy footstool. Till they're all under your feet. I put all things under your feet. That is his main psalm. He is still dealing with that theme, now in verse 5 following, that Christ is greater than the angels. He commenced that in chapter 1. He never really left that theme. He just broke off in a little bit of exhortation, a wee bit of application, 
But it was still in his mind, in verse 2 there, for example, you see the word spoken by angels was steadfast. This idea of him being greater than angels is still in his mind. He hasn't left it. And then in verse 5, he comes back to the, the theology upon it. And he says, For unto the angels hath he not put in subjection the world to come whereof we speak. So he's back to these angels again. Christ greater than the angels. Now it's obvious that when he deals with this subject, he foresees an objection of the Jews. And he probably heard this in the synagogues, these objections. Uh, the objection is that Jesus, who Christians call the Christ, is a man. A man of Judah. He was Jesus of Nazareth. He's a man who suffered. He's a man who died. He's a man who had pain and who was buried in a tomb. And a man, the Jews would say, is less than an angel. Because Psalm 8 teaches that. Made a little lower than the angels. So there you have it, the Jews would say. Lower than the angels. How then can he be greater than them? And that's true. He's a man who cried. He's a man who hungered. He's a man who slept. A man who bled and died. That's the Jesus that all men saw. But that's the only Jesus that the Jews saw. Now Paul, as I said, he met objections like that. We don't see his kingdom. We don't see anything glorious. We don't see the new age. The Jews taught that Messiah was to bring in the new age. He was to bring in a new world. But we don't see it. They were saying. We don't see this dominion. We don't see him reigning. We don't see all things in subjection to him. See that's always a Jewish problem. They have to see the physical. They have to see the literal. They have to see a Jewish kind of utopia. A Jewish kind of millennium on earth. But all they see is a Jew who suffered and died and whose body disappeared and is no more seen. They don't see Christ ruling and reigning now in glory at the right hand of God. They don't see a man who has all power given unto him. They don't see that. Because they're blinded and there's a veil over their mind. But we Christians, we see Jesus. It's only seen by faith. By Christian faith in Jesus Christ. Now that Christ is greater than angels. Is seen that he has this dominion. Over the world to come. Not the angels. He received this dominion. And he received it as Daniel says. As the son of man. He was ushered into the presence of God as a man, the risen, ascended man, and he received this dominion. And he was set down into his rest at the right hand of God. Finished. Completed. And he reigns now. We can connect this verse 5, for unto the angels hath he not put in subjection the world to come. We can connect that with verses before, verses 1 to 4. And I will do that. We'll come to that in a moment. But we can also connect it with the end of chapter 1. Because what does it say there at the end of chapter 1? It says, To which of the angels said he at any time, Sit on my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for them who shall be heirs of salvation? For unto the angels, 
hath he not put in subjection the world to come whereof we speak. So it's not to the angels. The Lord didn't say to any angel, sit thou in my right hand. I put in subjection all the world to you. He never said that to any of the angels. He said it to a man. He said it to the Son of God, his own son, who was man. That's who he said it to. He didn't put it in subjection to them. He put it in subjection to the ascendant Lord. An angel didn't hear Psalm 110. David says, the Lord Jehovah said unto my Lord. That's Jesus Christ. Jesus is David's Lord. Messiah is David's Lord. He said unto my Lord, sit thou at my right hand. That's who heard it. Not angels. The Son of God heard it. And the angels, they're just ministers to the heirs of that world to come. That's all they are. But the one who has the dominion is Christ, the Son of God. That's as king. He's our king. The kingdom is his. And his people are citizens of the world to come. And all power is Christ's, not angels. Now we must keep in mind why Paul is constantly showing us this. That Christ is greater than angels, greater than Moses, greater than Adam, greater than Joshua, greater than Aaron. Not because the believers don't doubt that. They know that. But he keeps reiterating it so that he will bring this out. That the Christian dispensation is the last. It's the last days. That the Christian dispensation is the better and the best. That the Christian dispensation is fulfillment. He's reigning now. He has the kingdom now. It's inaugurated. It's not the consummation of it at the end. That's not till the marriage supper of the Lamb at the end at the last day. But it's inaugurated. And he's reigning. This is what the Apostle Paul is meaning here. The kingdom has come and Christ is reigning. And the Jews are always saying, we don't see it. We don't see the literal fulfillment of the Old Testament. We don't see it. And Paul is saying, well, we Christians do. The Jews believed that Messiah would come and bring in a new world. And Paul is saying that's what he's done. Now in this verse, all turns on the expression, the world to come, whereof we speak. What is that world to come? And we have to understand that. And there are things that are not easy in this epistle to preach on because we don't want to get too academic and too theological. We will try to be practical. Whenever we go through difficult portions like this, we, we just have to do the best that we can in the time that we're given. I'm not going to say on all the ideas what people think it means. I'm just going to preach on what it appears to me to mean. And it's something that Paul is already speaking about, that his whole epistle is about, whereof I speak. So he's speaking about the world to come. He's speaking about it quite a lot through this epistle. The world to come is the heavenly inheritance. It's what the Christian is going to enjoy in all its fullness. You remember how it says at the end of chapter 1, the heirs of salvation, the inheritance. That's the world to come. Those who are going to be in the consummated new heavens and new earth. Those who are going to be free utterly, completely of a curse and of any effects of the fall. And that is under the dominion of Jesus Christ. It has its culmination at the last day. But it was inaugurated when Christ died and rose again and ascended. Christ received the dominion at his ascension. He is now crowned with glory and honor. By his death the work is finished. 
and he has entered into his rest and he rose on the eighth day. It's a new age. It's a better age. It's the new world has commenced with the reign of Jesus Christ. We don't see the kingdom in its finished glory, that is true. And we look for the new heavens and the new earth still. And here we have no continuing city, but we seek one to come. But it exists, and it's sure, and it's a reality. We just haven't seen it all yet. But we are enjoying the powers of the world to come. They're already here. In that mighty resurrection and ascension of Jesus Christ. We are already in the heavenlies. We've been raised into the heavenlies in Jesus Christ. In our union to Jesus Christ. We are now in the heavenlies. In our union to Jesus Christ. We are already in the kingdom to come. The earth has been shaken by the powers of the world to come. The divine eruption into our world has already taken place with the advent of Jesus Christ. And so to be saved is one day to be in the new heavens and the new earth. Even now, as I say, in the union to Jesus Christ, saints are in the heavenlies. We are in the kingdom of heaven. Now in order to do this and to bring man into the world to come, Christ had to become a man. That's why he took flesh. It's not that he's less than an angel, but to bring men into the world to come, it was necessary that he take a humanity to himself because it's only man that can have the dominion of the world to come to save men. That's why Paul brings in Psalm 8 and goes on to speak about the incarnation and the necessity of the incarnation and the necessity of the death to bring these many sons to this glory, to this world to come. So Christ, Paul is saying, Not in exact words here, but that's what's in his mind. Christ is the last Adam. He does what Adam failed to do. He has the dominion and Christ won't fail. The reason why the kingdom was not consummated at the cross was because it takes time to get a seed in. A seed doesn't just magically appear at the cross. It takes thousands of years for the human race to grow and expand and spread. And it can't be consummated at the cross and at the resurrection and at the ascension because the seed, he has to see a seed. He has to see his people born and then regenerated and be brought into a new creature, the new creature powers and relationships in the work of the Holy Spirit. And that's why it takes time. The kingdom of God has already come now. But all the Christians haven't been saved. and Some of them aren't even born yet. We don't know how many thousands and tens of thousands more are yet to be born. We don't know how many centuries yet the world is yet to run on. We don't know. Christ knows. But he's going to see a seed. And when the last of the seed is brought in, then he'll consummate the kingdom. And we'll all sit down with him at the marriage supper of the Lamb. And it'll be seen. You won't just be tasting it. You'll see it. You'll be in it. You'll be digesting it. Hebrews 6 verse 5. There's a little expression there about professing Christians. That they have tasted the good word of God. And the powers 
of the world to come. Do you see that? Christians, professing Christians, they taste something of the power of the world to come. Only taste it, mind you. They don't digest it. They're not swallowing it up. They're not sitting down at the marriage supper of the Lamb to fully digest it. They're only tasting it now. In his house, through the blessings of the ministry of the Word and by the Spirit, we get foretastes of that. There's power in our hearts. The power of the kingdom is in our hearts and in our lives through the Word. It has broken into us in the advent of Jesus Christ and in the pouring out of the Spirit. And whenever the Lord was on earth, he showed that the dominion was his. Verse 5, that word for. I said it connects us with the end of chapter 1, but it also really connects us with the verses that are before this. And what was Paul speaking about before this? He was speaking about the signs and the wonders, the miracles, the powers and gifts of the Holy Spirit. He was speaking about the indications of the Lord of glory, the creator among men. These divine eruptions into our earth, whenever Jesus Christ wrought these miracles, these signs, these wonders, those signs accompanied him. Those signs showed that this is the man that is to have the dominion. This is the man under whose feet all things are put. He has the signs. And that's why we spent so long talking about the signs whenever we did the sign miracles of Christ. They're so important. They showed that he inaugurated the kingdom of heaven. I spoke about some of the functions of the sign miracles. I did not, however, enlarge upon the one that I'm emphasizing tonight. And that is that the signs, as well as the other functions that we mentioned, that these sign miracles of Christ are a pointer not only of what is available to us now in Jesus Christ, but they are also a pointer of what is to come. What is ahead of us? What is the consummation at the end? They are a pointer to the consummation, what it's going to be like. What is a new heaven and a new earth going to be like? And those sign miracles, they point that out, they indicate that. Now we know that signs are a pointer of what's ahead. The highway people know that. The people who build the roads know that. They put signs up and they say, 30 miles ahead, Belfast. It's ahead, it's down the road, it's before us. And the miracles of Jesus Christ are a sign. He's giving us a sign of what is before us. What is down the road? What is further ahead that he is bringing in? What he's bringing us to? And so that the signs... Tell us of the future. A world under his dominion. A world without curse. Now we saw that Christ's miracles were of four kinds. I'll just quickly repeat those to you. The first category of his miracles are the nature miracles. Over the created elements. Over the wind and the sea. And water. And plants. And animal life. So those miracles over nature. And then the second group of miracles were those when he demonstrated his power over the spirit world, over the devil, over the demons, when he cast out demons, when he delivered legion. There were those sign miracles in that realm of evil spirits, his power over Satan's kingdom. And then there were the healing miracles, those gracious 
miracles of healing where he dealt with leprosy and with sicknesses and with blindness and deafness and dumbness and lameness, dealing with all of those things. And then there were, were those miracles which showed his power over death. Resurrection miracles culminating in the greatest of all miracles, his own resurrection, never to die anymore. The greatest sign miracle of all. Now all of those sign miracles, they are pointing to what's ahead. What we are going to enjoy. What that new world is going to be like. The nature miracles and all these other miracles, they show he is the last Adam who has been given dominion over all the earth. So the signs are eschatological. He is the one who removes the curse. He is the one who has everything under his feet. Everything. He is the one who takes away the world's groaning. He is the one who will end the chaos. Who ends the disorder. The dominion was given to Adam. What the world might have been if Adam had have remained standing. But that wasn't God's purpose. And it wasn't just the earth. Adam just would have had an earth under his feet. God had a higher intention of that. It was all, all the world. All the creation to be under a man's feet. But that man wasn't to be Adam. That man was to be his son, Jesus Christ. That's what God purposes. That's what God is, is working towards. The devil thought he avoided it in the Garden of Eden, but he just, he just hastened it. He just brought it on. God knows what he's doing. He knows the end from the beginning. God knows all his works from the foundation of the world. And so this one comes into the world and he shows he's the last Adam who has the dominion, who fed the multitude, who turned the water into the wine. Who brings in the marriage supper of the Lamb. And will cause us all to sit down at the table. And to have the la that great supper in the new heavens and in the new earth. He's the one that does that. He's the one who has everything under his feet. Psalm 8 shows us that. Thou madest him to have dominion over the works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things under his feet. Everything. Sheep and oxen, the beasts of the field, the fowl of the air, the fish of the sea, whatever passes through the seas, it's all to be under his feet. And that's what Paul is quoting here. And he quotes it in Ephesians chapter 1. He hath put all things under his feet. Samian. We're not waiting for that to happen. In the millennium. We're not waiting for that somewhere to happen down the road. That has happened now. He has put all things under his feet. It's done now. Christ is at the right hand of God now. We read in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. All things are put under his feet. It's, it's done now. And the apostle is saying something similar to that here. In chapter 2 of Hebrews. And do you know that. Not only did Paul apply Psalm 8 to himself. But do you know that the Lord Jesus Christ applied Psalm 8 to himself? Thus showing when he did that it is fulfilled in him. He came into Jerusalem. It was in the Passion Week. Riding on a coat. 
A colt that never man had sat on before. An unbroken colt. He came riding in on a wild colt. And he rode into the city. It's the king of glory coming in. And he went up into the temple. That's where he went. They brought the sick to him. And he healed many it says. And he cast out the robbers. He chased them out of the temple. You remember that? Well do you remember what happened? Whenever the chief priest saw the wonderful things that he did. And the children crying in the temple. And they were saying Hosanna. Hosanna to the son of David. They were praising the Christ. They recognized that he was the one who came in the name of the Lord. They recognized that he was the Messiah. They recognized that he was the one who had all the promises to be fulfilled in himself and by himself. Even the children recognized this. And whenever the Pharisees and the priests, they heard the children doing this, they were so displeased. And they said, do you not hear what they're saying, Jesus? Do you not hear what they're saying to you? Do you not hear what they're singing to you? You know what the Lord Jesus said? He said, have you never read? And he quotes from Psalm 8. Out of the mouth of babes and sucklings thou hast perfected praise. So the children are crying out. The king has come. The king has come to finish his work. The king has come to bring in the kingdom. He's come in on the wild colt. He's come in to bring in the kingdom. And very soon on the cross he will do that. When he says it is finished. Remember what he said to the dying thief? Remember the dying thief said, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Today. Today you'll be with me in paradise. Not at the end of the world. Not, not in the millennium. Today. You're in it today. When he died, it's finished. He brought in the kingdom. In all his power. It's inaugurated. It's commenced. So all things are under his feet. So he's the one who fulfills Psalm 8, the coming one. And it was put under him as, as a man. And he can't bring many sons to glory without being a man. So all things are put under him, under his feet. Just think about it. Doesn't it say the fish of the sea under his feet? Do you remember the fishermen in Galilee? Didn't they think they were the boys? Who had the fish under their feet. They fished all night. They didn't catch anything. But the Lord Jesus come along. Cast in now. All the fish were brought into the net. The nets broke. The fish of the sea. They're under his feet. He has the dominion. The signs indicate it. They show what's down the road. A creation. A world under his power. Under his volition. Under his word. It's all manifested. Fallen man can't control the fish of the sea. That's been all lost by man, but it's been regained by Jesus Christ. And so Christ brings the fish of the sea, and he has the glory and the honor, the dominion. He said to Peter, Go to the sea, throw in a hook. You'll get some money in a fish's mouth. He goes to the sea, he catches a fish, he has the money to pay for the tax. The fishes of the sea, they're under his feet. They're under his control. They're under his dominion. The beasts of the field. You remember in his temptations? He's in the wilderness. He's in the wild fields. He's where the wild beasts are. You know what the Bible says? They were with him. He was with the wild beast. You know what that means? It means they were beside him. They came up beside him. The wild beasts, they came up beside him. 
Not to attack him. Not to devour him. They weren't frightened away by him. They recognized their Lord. All things are under his feet. Even the wild beasts recognize it. Whenever he came in, into Jerusalem on the wild coat, that's what he's showing. All things are under his feet. And just imagine that coat never been ridden by man. And they're throwing blankets and clothes over it. And they're throwing things in front of it. And they're all shouting. And they're waving their branches all over the place. Do you know what ordinarily a coat like that on Broken would do? It would go wild. It would be frightened to death. But here he comes riding. Under his feet. The beast is under his feet. The beast has peace. The beast has no fear. The beast knows that its Lord has come. He's been ridden by his Lord. And so he sat on the wild coat. And it's under his feet. Not an angel. Not to an angel, but to the man, Christ Jesus. He rules over the waves. He speaks to the wind. Be still. It's under his feet. You remember he walked on the sea? Under his feet. You just have to think about the scriptures and these same miracles. It's all there. He's the one that has the dominion. He's the one who is going to make a world where there's no more sea. Because it's under his feet. He's the one who removes the curse. He's the one who has the power to curse. The power to remove the curse. You remember he came to the fig tree? He cursed it. And it shriveled up. Just like that. Its Lord cursed it. And it shriveled up. He has the dominion. He has the power. He shows what lies ahead. Go ye into everlasting damnation. Ye cursed. You my people come ye. Blessed into the kingdom. He's the one who has the dominion. Who has the power. Plants feel it. You know whenever he was crucified on the tree. You remember there was three hours of darkness. Never was anything like it on the earth. Three hours of darkness. An eclipse doesn't last very long. A matter of minutes. And whenever you have the sun going out. The stars appear. But there was darkness over all the earth. There's not even sunlight. There's not starlight. It's just darkness over all the earth. The sun recognized him who has the dominion. The stars recognized him who has the dominion. They knew that he is the one who brings in the new, who folds up the old like a garment. Doesn't it say that in chapter 1? Thou, Lord, dost fold up the heavens like a garment. You just fold them up like a scroll. He's the one that has a dominion over the world to come. It's Jesus Christ who was made a little lower than the angels for our salvation and to bring us as his sons into this glory. It is finished, he said. Just as it was finished at the end of creation and God rested and Jesus Christ died and rose again and entered into his rest. He's resting now. It's done. It's finished. Though he has to wait for the seed to spread and to grow until it's consummated and we enter into it. So the world to come is under his dominion. And if we go through all the other miracles, we haven't time to do that tonight. But you can do it. You can go through all the miracles and you, you think of every miracle, every sign miracle of what is before us. The eschatos, the end, what he's bringing us to.
A world without curse. A world without disease. A world without medicine. A world without issues of blood. A world without deafness. A world without dumbness. A world without blindness. And without darkness. A world of light. A world of blessing. A world where there is no sickness. No broken hearts. No tears. No sorrows. No suffering. No death. No curse. No chains. No dungeons. No graves. A world of life. Resurrection life. Life that knows no end. Life that will never die again. Life like unto his life. Life that continues into all eternity. Life abundant. Life evermore. The life of God for men. Through the last Adam. And there will be a new humanity then. And God's purpose which Satan thought he had put an end to in Eden. In the ruin of the first man. God's purpose will be brought to its full fruition. In that man of glory. His son. Jesus Christ our Lord. And then it will be God with man. And man with God having dominion over the new heavens and the new earth. And it'll be wonderful. And it'll be nothing like this present cosmos. It won't be a cosmos that will have gravitation. It won't have the material limitations that this present cosmos has. It will be a world fit for a glorious human body. Such as Jesus Christ had when he rose again from the dead. He's not going into that world to come in that glorious body by himself. He's bringing many sons with him. Bless his name. This isn't just a theological lecture. It's not just academic. This is being said so that you don't neglect that so great salvation. So that you don't miss it. You don't want to miss that. You don't want to neglect that. You must have him as your Lord. You must be in union to this man. Through faith in him. Are you in the world to come? Has the powers of the world to come entered into your life and heart? Have you been born again? Are you made a new creature already in Jesus Christ? Ready for the consummation? Has it begun in you? Is the power of the Holy Spirit working in our hearts and lives? Have we truly tasted of the powers of the world to come? Have you died in Christ? Have you been buried in Christ? Are you risen in Christ? And are you now presently in the heavens reigning with Christ? That can only be done In a union to him. And the union to him. Is a union of faith. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And thou shalt be saved. So don't miss that. Don't neglect that. 